what percentage of companies use the word platform? Um, it's massive. It's like 80% of companies, we are a platform for a block. We can't all be platforms, right? No. A platform is like the baseline thing on which everything here should be built. There's, and if you go, it's like platforms all the way down. It's platforms on platforms <laughs> on platforms. The real word of the day should be ecosystem because yes. all of these companies that view themselves as platforms, they see it in that way because they see that, oh, there are 50 companies connected to us and therefore they are built on top of us and therefore we are a platform. But they're forgetting that they are also connected to all of those 50 companies. So mesh of these companies that are self-identifying as platforms but really participating in ecosystems. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In this episode 113 of 14 Minutes of SaaS, the second with Bob Moore, we learn about his evolution as an entrepreneur through two exits and on to his current startup Crossbeam. If we think of a company as a product, then we learn how Bob managed to essentially sell his first company twice. The first time to Magento, the second time to Talent. And we see another example of this pattern of serial entrepreneurs repeating similar levels of success, but in a fraction of the time, the second time round. And Stitch, tell us about Stitch. Yeah, Stitch, so if you think of RJ Metrics as this big monolithic, like we do it all for you, one-stop shop. So we're gonna pull your data out of Salesforce and out of Marketo and out of your backend databases and whatever else. We're gonna drop it into our data warehouse and then we're gonna let you set up these business rules so that you get charts and dashboards and logins and sharing and everything like that. That's really three products in one. It's yeah. a, uh, what they call an ETL service, which is extract, transform, load. So all the okay. data pipelines, all the like, let's pull this data out, talk to the APIs. Okay. Then you've got the data warehouse, which is in the middle, which is where the data all lives. Yes. And then you've got the business intelligence tool, which is the charts and the dashboards and collaboration. RJ was all of that. Amazing. And what happened between 2008 and 2016 when we sold to Magento is that each of those individual pieces became so extremely critical to the way in which modern businesses and data science teams operate that it actually became a category in and of itself. So like take data warehouses, for example, in the middle. The release of Amazon Redshift, Google BigQuery, uh, Snowflake, uh, which has become a real rocket ship uh, business uh, itself. Uh, Microsoft has gotten into this game. All of the big public clouds have these uh, cl massively scalable cloud-based data warehouses. Yes. So the fact that we had a data warehouse in the middle was great unless you wanted to control your own data warehouse, which you very well might want to. Uh -huh. If the rest of your infrastructure is sitting inside of AWS or inside of another public cloud, so like that um, on the heels of that, businesses like Looker and Periscope and there's kind of a new renaissance for tools like Tableau because they could sit right on top of those existing data warehouses. They don't have to worry about ETL. They don't have to worry about warehousing. They can just be charts and dashboards and collaboration around data and yep. build amazing businesses there. And, and they did. And our competitive set went from being other monolithic stacks of everything to being a mindset shift where people would say, I don't want to buy a big monolith. I want to buy these three components and tie them together. People started buying RJ Metrics just for the pieces. So like somebody would buy an entire full price RJ Metrics, buy the whole stack, and then just use the part where we pull data out of these systems and drop it into a data warehouse okay. to put it in their data warehouse instead of ours. Uh, and ultimately, we saw enough of that pattern that we said we should just break off this piece of the technology and sell it as a standalone product called RJ Metrics Pipeline that does nothing but the ETL piece. Okay. And we'll drop it wherever you want it and then we're, we're hands off, we're clean. 
Yep. And that allowed us to go from being a competitor with these amazing rocket ship companies like Amazon Redshift, like Looker, to actually being an extremely powerful complement to them. We could go to market alongside them, we could co-sell with them. They were incredible partners because we made their product better and they made our product better. When we sold to Magento, part of the negotiation was, Magento only cared about Magento data. Uh, they didn't care about all these other data sources. And we had this amazing ETL product, RJ Metrics Pipeline, that they didn't necessarily value. So uh, part of our negotiation there was, let us keep RJ Metrics Pipeline. And in the process of doing it, you know, they bought the RJ Metrics brand and everything else. They got all that. So we couldn't keep calling it that. So we rebranded it as Stitch. Uh, and that's where Stitch came from. So, and then we ran Stitch for, and when I say we, I should say my co-founder, Jake Stein, while I did my 18 months at Magento, um, Jake ran Stitch as CEO. Um, actually, in the same, we were in the same physical building in, in Philadelphia, so we saw a lot of each other. But the team there, Jake and Chris Merrick, our CTO, just crushed it. Uh, and in about two years, a little under two years, Stitch got almost as big as RJ Metrics did in eight years from a Amazing. revenue and customer standpoint. Uh, and we were acquired by Talent in November of, of 2018. That's an interesting negotiation to be able to um, get a decent, a decent outcome plus keep a company and then build it up to the same size and double your, double your exit, basically. Yeah, one of my investors called it the, the triple Lindy. Uh, it's like, we basically sold the same company twice. Um, <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, it's a, it, a glorified way, really, of describing a pivot where we at RJ didn't move fast enough to capture our strong market position when we had it, and we really had to pivot that business hard, and we, got, we just got really lucky on having a series of transactions that made that lucrative instead of extremely painful. Um, and I think that's more, more luck than design, to be candid. What drove you to um, jump out into um, Crossbeam? I didn't feel like I was done, and I loved this idea, and I felt like there was a ticking clock on the idea. Um, Crossbeam, conceptually, is, you know, if you think of what we did at RJ and Stitch, is helping people get their data all into one place and analyze it and get value from it. At the end of the day, what you're really doing is just building a bunch of these data silos. Like your company has their silo, my company has mine. What I saw at Magento and what we saw at Stitch and at RJ was when you want to collaborate with other companies, with third parties, I've got my silo and you've got yours. And um, it's a non-starter to think that you might let the other company into your silo. Um, our data is sacred and our data is protected. And there's a lot of, you know, especially in a post-GDPR world, there's a lot of really good reasons why that's true. Mm. But then how do you answer really simple questions with your partners? Like, how many customers do we have in common and who are they? Or are my sales reps currently selling to any of the same people that your sales reps are selling to? Or maybe we've got 50 partners in our tech integration ecosystem and we can only do one webinar a month. So who's the next company that we should do this webinar with when we think about how our, our target accounts overlap or our addressable markets overlap. Um, what's the next tech integration we should build uh, in order to either expand our market or increase the stickiness of our product uh, among our existing users? Every single one of these questions, which would come up time and time again in all these environments, were unanswerable because the only way to do it is to draw a Venn diagram of mine and yours. and. Uh, the only way to draw a Venn diagram is if one side or the other has both of the circles and if the data is structured in such a way where it can even be compared apples to apples. Two enormous problems that... And a third problem, no? Yeah. You've got a conundrum because you've got, well, you've kind of articulated, but you've got a conundrum whereby how do you balance, um, you know, doing uh, things that are mutually beneficial and for the customers as well as for the two vendors, which is the initial drive, of course, um, while while keeping that data private enough to, oh, yeah. not, to not go go to the red side of, 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 of the law or, or of 
over your customer's perception of you. Uh, and that's paramount, yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of like, that's a through line to, to all of this around the privacy security com compliance components have a lot to do with transparency, control, um, you know, accountability, data ownership, that chain of custody of data and how and when and why it gets exposed and exactly having uh, the ability to control those rules based on your, your regulatory environment, the nature of the partnership you may have in place, the nature of the outcomes you're trying to drive. Um, and we, you know, I looked around at what people were doing in this area to try and solve this, and the answer was they were emailing spreadsheets around and, and probably violating <laughs> who knows how many laws. And, and the, you know, the, among other problems, they were just oversharing. Like in order to answer the question of how many customers do we have in common, I have to send you my whole customer list. You can compare it to yours or vice versa. It's a lot of waste of time. Um, too. It's a lot of waste of time. It's a lot of waste of energy. A lot of false positives and false negatives come up. Um, so it's kind of like the prisoner's dilemma problem from game theory. It's like you either, you're, ideally, you both should contribute data and get the answers out, but the actual like, optimal, like, Nash equilibrium solution to that problem is that both sides defect uh, okay. and nobody shares uh, and there's no data there. So, Crossbeam. I felt that after seeing what we had done with Stitch and seeing all of these tailwinds around the maturity of the API economy, the mass enterprise level adoption of cloud solutions, meaning that even the biggest uh, companies in the world now had their data sitting in a CRM system that was accessible via the cloud, that could be communicated with via APIs. This meant that it would actually be possible to potentially build what really amounts in some ways to um, kind of a business to business network of data, LinkedIn for data, where yeah. companies could rely on Crossbeam as this trusted intermediary, like an escrow service for data that would allow them to connect um, on a shared platform, combine their data, analyze the combined data to get insights out, but keep the underlying raw information private and secure and have huge controls over how and when that gets actually disclosed. So some of those insights, would they be insights that would make a company decide, for example, to do a joint webinar? Yeah, or, every, or a company. So as, yeah. A, as opposed to kind of digging deep into individuals, more like, hey, we have an awful lot of overlap over there. Let's create an event for that. Let's yeah, create, let's create it is. You can run all the way up and down the, the revenue funnel for it. So there's a lot of marketing use cases that are a little more broad-based like that. Like we conceptually need to decide where to put our energy and we can identify via aggregated kind of roll-up statistics where the, the mass of you know, qualified opportunities might exist outside in our, our customers, or our partners' customer bases. But you can run down the funnel and you get into these motions like co-selling uh, and account mapping where um, I'm not going to share anything about my customers with you except who the sales rep is on my team that owns the account. So like, if we're both selling to the same company at the same time, let's get our reps on the same page. Um, and I, I'm going to reveal no PII, no information that is sure. about the humans or the people at this customer. Sure. I may not even reveal what the nature of my business relationship is that's kind of up to me uh, but what I will do is say hey um, if we're both working on this account at this time let's have this rep talk to this rep because there may be a, a positioning motion if it's a channel partner who's also reselling my product you could avoid conflict by doing this because if your Absolutely. direct team and your channel sellers are selling to the same person at the same time your same product you could be competing and not even know it the ability to actually kind of keep records around what has been happening, who's been connected, what's been visible by whom at what point in time. And this is all stuff that our platform, kind of by default, this is what it does. Very, very good. Um, so yeah, so it runs, you know, it runs the gamut from the inconsequentially seeming high level kind of marketing head scratcher decisions all the way down to M&A. Like, should I buy this company or not? Wow. How much, I, I'm, I'm in a competitive situation and I need to give a term sheet to this potential acquisition. How do I know how I should value it? 
when they haven't even started diligence or given me access to the data room yet. And Crossbeam um, is increasingly in more and more of those situations where you're wow. answering those, those major, major dollar decisions. Did you know enough about the industry already where you kind of felt, um, you know, we just need to build this and go out there? Or did you, did you, did you need to really validate this quite a bit before you pull the trigger? Yeah, it, this is a little bit of the, um, the old trope that, uh, you know, if, if uh, Henry Ford asked the market uh, what they wanted, he would have oh, tried yeah. to build a faster horse. This is a very vision-based play based on kind of these, these couple of core beliefs about what's going on in the broader market that is, you know, the, the increasing focus on security and compliance and, um, you know, responsibilities around data are forcing us into a world where process and workflows that are built into things that are measurable and, and you know, can be monitored and logged is extremely important. And you couple that with, wow, the, the power and um, uh, how prolific the amount of data that's actually available is, is growing so extremely rapidly. Um, and that these walls are actually moving further apart rather than getting closer together when it comes to intercompany collaboration, despite the fact that companies are more connected than ever because of all these APIs. <laughs> like every single, we're live from Web Summit right now, and if you go and walk down in that expo hall, my, our head of content is here, and he was doing this for a blog post earlier today. He went to go see, just on the, the tagline, the one sentence tagline of what percentage of companies use the word platform. Um, it's massive. It's like 80% of companies, we are a platform for a block. <laughs> we can't all be platforms, right? No. A platform is like the baseline <laughs> thing on which everything here should be built. There's, and if you go, it's like platforms all the way down. It's platforms on platforms <laughs> on platforms. The real word of the day should be ecosystem because yes. all of these companies that view themselves as platforms, they see it in that way because they see that, oh, there are 50 companies connected to us and therefore they are built on top of us and therefore we are a platform. But they're forgetting that they are also connected to all of those 50 companies. So mesh of these companies that are self-identifying as platforms but really participating in ecosystems. And that is, you compare that to five years ago, I mean, the we, uh, we have a site called partnerbase.io uh, where we try to draw the map of these technology partnerships between companies. And it is just, you know, it's, it's tens or hundreds of thousands of companies and millions and of the connections between them. The combinations them. are... And growing, you know, growing at N squared. So that, that N squared, that is the, the order of growth of the opportunity of our market is kind of our core thesis here. That like, if we can be a go-to-market overlay yeah. that allows any company that's participating in an ecosystem like this to actually drive revenue and results for their business as a result of participating there, yeah. instead of just having it as a cost center um, or, or an R&D or product focus, then the market opportunity that gets unlocked is, is, is tremendous. In the next episode, we hear about the real business reasons why growing the network, growing these interconnected ecosystems is the single biggest metric for Crossbeam. Bob talks about issues close to his heart, like inequality of opportunity regarding education in the United States. And of course, he has some great advice for entrepreneurs and founders. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills, to Ketsu for the music, and to Anders Getz for the transcript. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and of course, give the show a rating. Mm -hmm.